This episode is brought to you by Plant Life Nutrition. Plant Life Nutrition is Vancouver's first fully vegan nutrition store. So Shauna, how did you first get the idea to make it a fully vegan store? I just decided, you know, I like being able to walk into a store and not have to like pick up labels to read every single ingredient or with supplements sometimes you even have to call the company to find out you know where are they sourcing the l-cysteine or the l-leucine like these are amino acids that can sometimes come from animal products with supplements and natural health products it can be a little bit tricky to navigate what's vegan and what's not so i wanted to have a place where someone who was vegan could come in and not have to worry about like reading labels. So what you're saying is you've done all the homework for them. Pretty much, yes. And I only bring in products that I would personally use or have used with my clients. So I'm really picky about what we bring in the store. So everything in the store is Shauna approved. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, that is the most important thing of all. <laughs> so win, win. Win, win. You can follow them on Instagram at Plant Life Nutrition. That's where they'll post about new products or nutrition tips or any upcoming events. You're listening to Vegan Boss Radio, a show for vegans by vegans. We'll be talking about everything to do with living that vegan boss life. And we need a good ending. Yeah, we need a good ending. I don't know how do we end this shit. Enjoy the show. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode three of Vegan Boss Radio. We're your hosts... Shauna Barker and Megan Barker. Today on the show is our very first interview. Our guest is Dr. Matt Negra. Dr. Negra began his journey into plant-based nutrition over 10 years ago. In 2018, he graduated from the Boucher Institute of Naturopathic Medicine and is a proponent for the use of plant-based nutrition in treating many of our chronic diseases. He continues to learn about plant-based nutrition through Cornell University and has written articles for Dr. T. Colin Campbell's Center for Nutrition Studies. He believes the evidence supporting a whole foods plant-based diet is no longer refutable and aims to educate the public on how they too can take control of their health, starting with what's on their plate. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So we're going to jump right in to the first question when and why did you go vegan what's your vegan story uh, it started when I was pretty young like uh, I was 16 or 15 at the time I was overweight as a child I had asthma allergies and um, I actually had a personal trainer because I started playing football at the time and he really pushed not strictly vegan or plant-based diets but predominantly a lot of raw foods things like that and um, he made me do a food diary And I was so terrified that he was just going to wreck me in the gym when he saw how poor my diet was that for the next couple weeks I followed his advice. Got rid of dairy, got rid of all your pop, junk foods, all that kind of stuff. And I just felt way better. I started losing weight within those couple weeks. uh, My asthma just went away. Haven't really had it since. And I stuck with it. And then over the course of the next two years, I would just learn more and more until I went to university. 
Um, and it was back to, you know, weekends, partying, eating cafeteria food. My health started to decline a little bit, and I was in the cafeteria having lunch with chicken on my plate um, in my second semester. And I remember telling all my friends right then and there that didn't want to feel like that anymore. I wanted to get back on the program and I went to 100%, not just even vegan, but like raw vegan overnight. Whoa. Of course, now I'm not mm-hmm. strictly raw, but yeah, at the time that that was what happened. And um, so originally totally for health and then later on came the environmental and of course the animal rights um, mm-hmm. aspect as well. So was your trainer vegan then? Like I'm surprised that most trainers don't usually recommend to cut out animal products. So mm-hmm. that's good to hear. He was very plant-based not strictly vegan but like way more on that Mm -hmm. and a lot of raw foods like I mentioned yeah that's really interesting to hear because usually like with personal trainers they really push like the animal protein yeah I find so yeah no no (laughs) he he never cared about it so other than your trainer was there anyone specific that inspired you to go vegan or were you really like your own leader in this case Um. that this yeah, made the decision. I was 100% on my own. Like, uh, yeah. I was living on residence at UVic. I had a Vitamix and a mini fridge in my room. I had no vegan friends. Um, although now many of my friends from university have become vegan through my influence. But um, at the time, yeah, it was just me by myself. Didn't know much. I made some new friends and yeah, kind of went from there. Nice. Sweet. Do you think uh, or do you feel like you made any mistakes when you were first starting out since you just kind of like jumped into it? Um, See, I don't feel like I jumped right into it because I had that two year period of where I cut a lot of stuff out and Mm -hmm. I was like practicing and there would be a week or even two Mm -hmm. weeks at a time where I was strictly vegan and or even raw vegan. And um, so when I decided to make that switch to 100% and be really strict with it, Mm -hmm. I already had a pretty solid grasp Mm -hmm. on what to do. Um, so I, if I went hundred percent overnight from eating McDonald's to that, then yeah, I probably would have made a lot of mistakes along the way, but, um, I think I had a pretty good okay. like baseline. So there was a bit of transition yeah. journey for that two years. Yeah. Okay. Were your friends and family pretty supportive or did you notice any pushback from people being worried about your nutrition or if you were getting enough protein? That's always a popular question. Uh, when I was... 15 and first made the switch from like no dairy and and reducing my animal foods and everything I think my mom was a little concerned about calcium without the dairy. I never liked milk like my whole life I didn't really like Mm -hmm. milk. I was kind of forced to consume it because it was good for you apparently Um, and I had friends who really doubted me when I first made those changes in high school but once I got to university, my parents knew I had a pretty solid grasp on what I was doing. Most of my friends there, well, I don't think they completely believed I was going to stick with it. They were overall pretty supportive. Um, so, yeah, I, I was lucky in that respect. What were you going to university for at that time? Microbiology. Okay. Were you taking any nutrition courses as electives or anything? Yep. I yeah. actually I took... Um, uh, I can't remember, the like, intro to nutrition or something yeah. like that. And I was quite... in. Uh, involved in nutrition at that point and I remember like acing it <laughs> like it was like my best course mind you it was the only nutrition course I took the rest yeah. of it was all like the biology and biochemistry and all that yeah interesting <laughs> yeah I had a hard time in the nutrition program at UBC just with the like uh how out of date it is yeah. and we had like the dairy farmers associations come and talk to our classes of like 300 students and yeah it was an interesting a few years (laughs) yeah I mean I had kind of the same through my naturopathic schooling anyway but yeah um, 
Yeah, I think it's like that with any kind of nutrition or dietetics course. So you're in university for mm-hmm. microbiology. When did you decide to go to naturopathy school, and did veganism have a role in you choosing that career path? Veganism had a huge role, and I decided firmly in my third year, but it was an idea prior to that. Like, I, I was kind of focusing on healthcare in general, whether it be you know, medical you know, a medical doctor or a naturopathic or whatever. Um, I was looking at that and my uh, nutrition prof, I think it was, actually recommended that I shadow their naturopath. So I did that for a couple days and uh, they were awesome. There was a husband and wife, they let me shadow each of them. They both practice very differently so I got a pretty big scope of like what they can do. And um, I just really liked it and, and decided that that's what I wanted to do in my third year. So. Applied to Boucher the following year and then got in and that was that. Nice. And Boucher because of where you were living? Um, um, or like, or did you look into other naturopathy schools? I applied at a few. I applied okay. at Bastier in Seattle, Boucher, yes, because yeah. of where we were living, and uh, CCNM in Toronto. And then I actually also applied to the one in Arizona. Okay. And um, with Boucher, though, like the other schools besides Bastier, I didn't actually go to them to see the schools and get to experience them. So SCNM in Arizona, didn't see in person. CCNM, I interviewed over Skype. Um, but for both Bastier and Boucher, I got to you know attend some classes. And it was actually the anatomy class in um, Boucher that really got me. It's the only class I sat in on. The instructor, Dr. Nick Visniak, who I'm good friends with now, was like super entertaining, really easy to... Um, you know, pick up all the information. He even had me go up in front of the class and give like a demo thing and like just put me on the spot. And, but I thought it was really fun. And, and yeah. so I decided to go with that. Nice. So you're in school for naturopathic medicine and you're a vegan. So what was that like? Did you feel um, supported? Yeah. Or like was the curriculum trying to like persuade people towards animal based diets instead of fully plant based diets? Yeah, I would say the naturopathic profession as a whole is far more leaning onto the paleo side of things than a vegan or plant based diet. Um, I was the only vegan out of 28 people in my class that I graduated with. There were a couple other vegetarians to start the program, but they later started including animal products as well. Um, In my class anyway, the later classes that are now going into the school, I see a lot more people who are plant-based or vegan, which is nice to see. But at the time that I went in, yeah, I was totally on my own. And even through nutrition classes, every time a question came up about what's a risk for deficiency in X, Y, or Z, the first hand that went up usually said a vegan diet. It was a cop-out answer. It's a very easy answer, even though we have a lot of data showing that vegans tend to be more um, nutriently or nutritiously supplied, I guess, than than a lot of the other omnivorous diets. Um, but so it was challenging at times. There were a lot of arguments to be had. Um, we had a guest lecture from a prof at UBC come in and uh, talk about the research on nutrition and. I'd actually read a lot of the research mm-hmm. that he was presenting and I knew flaws with a lot of it and I would bring it up right in front of the class and uh, afterwards people actually said I made a lot of good points. The instructor kind of uh, just shrugged them off and you know he's up there in the front I'm sitting in the back but um, there were yeah a lot of arguments um, there were a lot of frustrating issues but I'm very happy that we did at least touch on some things like the Ornish diet, Esselstyn mm-hmm. diet for heart disease, and there was a lot of good in there as well, but specifically the vegan topic was something I had a lot of issues with. 
Yeah, I wonder if that was one of my professors at UBC. (laughs) Sounds like it. So speaking of some of these research studies, I was just listening to another podcast um, where it was someone who was like very anti-vegan and they mentioned a study of vegans being like deficient in B12, like 100% basically he was saying. Um, So I actually looked up the study after the podcast and it was from 12 years ago. So before like all of these plant milks and everything Mm -hmm. started being fortified with a form of B12. Um, And it was before vegans really knew the importance of supplementing with B12. And it's also important to note that like a vegan diet doesn't mean anything. It means that you don't eat animal products. It does not mean that you're health conscious. Like if if these people, you know, from these older studies before widespread supplementation and fortification, maybe they weren't taking B12, they Mm -hmm. became deficient. But you look at the Adventists, the longest living population in the world who are predominantly vegetarian, who some of the healthiest are actually vegan, they're very mindful about what they eat. They Mm -hmm. ensure that they're getting the B12 through supplementation or fortified foods, and they're doing super well. So just like there are a lot of unhealthy omnivores Mm -hmm. out there, there can be a lot of unhealthy vegans as well. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't tell us anything about what the person is eating. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I had poutine and cauliflower wings today. So if I ate that every day... That or, would. like, Oreos and <laughs> yeah. chips and, yeah, French fries all day. Yeah, the yeah. story doesn't end there with just you're vegan, automatically mm-hmm. yeah. you're healthy. Yeah. So. All right. Um, what do you have to say to the skeptics out there um, about, you know, natural medicine or, like, natural modalities of looking at chronic disease? Well, I think there's a lot of misinformation. So, like, if I'm to talk about naturopathic medicine in particular, a lot of people assume that we're, you know, anti-this, anti-that, anti-medicine. We don't like prescribing. Whereas in in British Columbia, we actually have prescription rights. I can prescribe most medications, Mm -hmm. not the fun stuff, as some of my friends say, but, um, (laughs) you know, most of it. And um, we're very supportive of conventional medicine. Like, we aren't going to tell someone not to undergo conventional cancer care and, you know, do some alternative therapies. They're meant to be adjuncts to the conventional therapy that maybe increase the safety of it, increase efficacy. And there is a lot of research out there to support a lot of these things, like CoQ10 supplementation for heart health. Now all leading cardiologists are recommending it along with statins. But, you know, naturopathic doctors were doing it first. They were doing it a long time ago. So... There's a lot of legitimacy there, but not not every practice that NDs do, not every practice that medical doctors do or mm-hmm. dietitians or physios do is 100% evidence-based. There's always a little bit of bias, a little bit of you know placebo at work. Um, so I, I think it's just a matter of education, not knowing how uh, diligent our education actually is. Yeah, I find it... Um frustrating when we like when a naturopath or when a holistic nutritionist or like I call myself a nutritionist because I did like both the science degree at UBC and a holistic Mm -hmm. nutrition program but when we get lumped in together and just like assume that we all practice the same way or believe all the same things um, so yeah there's definitely going to be some variants there and I should add actually in BC NDs or naturopathic doctors are very highly regulated whereas say in Alberta there isn't really regulation and in a lot of the US although some of it is pretty regulated a lot of it doesn't have regulation in Australia you can call yourself a naturopath without you know the the full-on degree so yeah there's a lot of different things like that where um, 
you just need to make sure that they went to one of the accredited schools yeah. and they got the education and, and have then, like liability yeah, insurance exactly, exactly. Like, that's very important yes yeah. and that's the same thing you say about when yeah people well, are looking for a nutritionist you know there's yeah. so many people even though they're not even allowed to be doing this here they'll yeah. call themselves a nutrition coach even mm-hmm. though they don't have the credentials to do it yeah so it's just it's so important to check yeah. for those credentials yeah. and to see what someone's education is on that topic because <clears throat> yeah. there's a big difference between you like who went to school for seven years and versus someone who took a three-month online course course. (laughs) yeah you know not to like put those people down at all it's just when it comes to health it's so important that you take it seriously because yeah it's you're giving people's health advice yeah and people are trusting you with their health yeah Yeah. the biggest thing they can do you have to know what you're talking about so exactly so with naturopathy school you do three or four years of prerequisites and then it's a four-year program yeah okay yeah uh boucher i think actually required four-year uh, prereq like a, a full-on degree okay um, but yeah it was four years of school the first couple years are really heavy on the basic sciences so your anatomy physiology biochemistry biology etc um, as well as getting introduced to some of the modalities like nutrition and physical medicine and whatnot and then once you get into your third and fourth years you're really focusing on the modalities for treatments as well as getting a lot of clinical time in so um, it's I'd say in that sense, very comparable to what you might experience at most med schools. There's actually a great chart. I think I have it on my Instagram where it compares the different um, uh, different healthcare fields, whether it be massage therapy, chiropractic, medical school, naturopathic school, and you can actually look at the differences in hours on different you know areas. Physiology, for example, naturopaths actually get the most. Pharmacology, of course, the medical doctors get the most education for anatomy. I think it was either the chiros or the RMTs. So. Um, it, it, but they all get pretty good education around whatever the, it is mm-hmm. that they're treating. Oh, that'd be interesting to look at. Why do you think more healthcare professionals don't recommend plant-based diets for heart disease when there's so much evidence out there showing it, that, that it can reverse heart disease? So I think there's like multiple factors to this. For one, um, most medical doctors or naturopathic doctors, they themselves you know, eat meat and animal products. They don't want to give it up. The thought of giving it up probably scares them altogether. So um, there's like an inherent bias there already. And then second, and this is the one that really bothers me, is that they don't think the patients will make the change. Now I come from a perspective of give them the option. It is the most effective therapy for them. So give them the choice to do it. Let them know how effective it is. And if they decide, you know what, that's too much for me. I can't do that. Can't make all those changes then you go with like a Mediterranean diet or something, which also has some pretty mm-hmm. good research, just hasn't shown reversal like a plant-based diet has. Um, so that's the biggest frustration. And like Dr. Michael Greger, who's my favorite you know, doctor out there, he always makes the comparison to smoking in the uh, 50s, where you know all doctors did it. They recommended it for a lot of issues like throat irritation, for example. And it took, um, it took until 1964 when the Surgeon General's report was published telling everyone that, hey, this causes cancer. Once they told everyone, guess what? They started changing, mm-hmm. right? So all we have to do is tell them and they will make those changes. Even if they don't go all the way, I think, you know, if they go 80% of the way, they're still doing better than somebody who's going 100% of the way on the alternative, whether it be paleo mm-hmm. or, or, you know, even Mediterranean or whatever. And again, with adherence, most studies, like Dr. Neil Bernard did a 74-week randomized controlled trial showing or comparing a low-carb diet for diabetes to a 
low-fat plant-based diet, and adherence scores were very similar across the board. So people were just as willing to do the vegan diet as they were mm -hmm. the um, low-carb diet. The difference is they were actually given the option. And if you look at statin therapy for heart disease, by about three or four months out, half the people prescribed statins are no longer taking the drugs because, um, well, there's just adherence issues with most medications anyway, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot of side effects. So they stopped taking it. Now, if you look at Dr. Dean Ornish's uh, research or his programs that he does with heart disease patients, one year out, he has a 90% retention rate. And these are for like, not just diet, but meditation and social groups and all this stuff. And at two years out, he's got like 85%. So he's doing far better than any of the drug therapies are because he's actually giving them the choice. They feel better and he's supporting them along the way with the, the social groups. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there is an excuse not to recommend these diets to people when it could really help them. Yeah, I always find it surprising when people refer to a vegan diet as extreme, mm -hmm. <laughs> as if going under and the knife and yeah. having like open heart surgery is an extreme. Yeah, yeah, really. So yeah, having a vein cut out of your leg and similar yeah. to your heart. Um, yeah, it sounds pretty extreme. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, people don't realize how much power they actually have, like over their own health. Mm hmm. Because they're and, not told. <laughs> yeah, and then that's another reason I think that there is such good adherence with, like, Dr. Ornish's program is because people actually feel empowered and, like, they're making a difference. So mm -hmm. um, you give somebody control. Like, that's what happened with my dad. He had some heart issues when he was just 40, like, really mm -hmm. young. And he had a lot of anxiety and panic about it for a while, a couple of years, actually. And it wasn't until he started really making those changes himself and actually seeing results that, you know, he got back to mm -hmm. well, at least as close to his normal self as he could. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, we need to give people more credit that they can change and are willing mm -hmm. to change. They just need to be, like, know that those options are. Yeah, If they're exactly. not being told by their doctor, like, mm -hmm. yeah, we need to really start there, I think. Um, so what advice do you have for new vegans if someone wants to start eating plant-based or vegan? So if you're slowly making the transition, I'll start there because okay. that's a bit easier. Um, you can start with just like even one meal a day. I don't like the idea of doing like a one day a week mm -hmm. because there's just such a huge break between those periods. But if you do just breakfast, super easy, do oatmeal or a tofu scramble or something. That's one meal done. Do that for a week, two weeks if you want. Move on to the second meal and then the third meal. Um, there's a lot of great resources for healthy recipes. I love the app for iPhone and Android called 21 Day Vegan Kickstart. And if you really want to be super, super healthy with it, um, Dr. Greger has an app called Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen where he highlights the healthiest foods and you just try to check every box every day. And it's hard to do. Like you have to really try to do that. But if you're hitting at least most, if not all those boxes, you have a healthy diet. There, there's just not enough room in your diet for junk food if you're eating all those things. Mm -hmm. So those are some resources. Also, I would look at um, either online social groups or if there's any events, potlucks or anything like that going on in town. Usually you can find them on Facebook or meetup.com. Those are good places to meet people. And if you're, say you're transitioning sp uh, specifically for ethical reasons, there's like vigils, at, you know, slaughterhouses, there's um, all sorts of different protests and things going on. And I know that scares some people, but you meet a lot of friends that way. Like I've met a lot of really good friends that way. Um, the whole kind of activist community in Vancouver is really tight and mm -hmm. we all hang out. I'm going to be hanging out with some of them right after this. <laughs> so um, it's just a good way to make a lot of friends and people are usually super welcoming. 
But if you want to make the switch overnight, it's a bit more challenging. I would look at what your diet is right now. So let's say for breakfast you have ham, or not, not that, I'll say eggs and toast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for lunch, maybe you have a tuna sandwich or something. I'm just, it's been so long since I've eaten these foods. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> like, stuff what up. do they eat? Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> for dinner, I don't know, it's spaghetti with meat sauce. Okay. Let's say that's your day. I would try to mimic them instead of just trying to totally revamp your whole diet. So if you're mm-hmm. doing your, your eggs and toast, well, you can still do the toast. Um, you know, just sub out the butter, do some like peanut butter, or, you know, whatever, jam, almond butter. Um, instead of the eggs, tofu scramble. And then for lunch, if you're having the sandwich, well, you can swap that out for like a, one of those avocado, lettuce, tomato kind of, you know, um, veggie sandwiches. If you want, you can throw some mock meats in there. I think that's a really good idea for a transition, just not something you want to have all day, every day. Um, and for dinner, so if you're having spaghetti with meat sauce, sub out the meat sauce for tomato sauce. Do some ground tofu in there if you want. Um, even if you want to make it healthier, throw some broccoli into the or, and beans into the uh, tomato sauce. Switch white pasta to whole wheat pasta. Like There's always a way to make your meat a little bit healthier. Um, which again, the Daily Dozen app helps with to think about mm-hmm. that. So those are kind of some of the tips for that. But if you do make a switch that drastic and you do experience some say bloating, gas, things like that, which can happen when you really increase your fiber intake, you might need to take it a bit slower with the fibers. So maybe don't eat too many of the beans, choose tofu instead or a mock meat. Maybe you wanna go temporarily with the white rice or white pasta instead of the whole grain. Um, just little steps like that to make it a little easier on the digestive tract. But over time, you should be good eating all of it. Cool. That's pretty much exactly what I did. I was okay. literally <laughs> replacing all of my favorite foods with just like a vegan version of it and also calling Shauna every day. Yeah. Like, I'm at the grocery <laughs> store. What should I get? Give what me a recipe. You still call me every day asking I what th- you could eat. <laughs> I still do after four years. Yeah. I'm hungry. What do what I eat today? I eat? <laughs> so it helps having a sister as a chef, but I yeah. know not everybody yeah, is I, lucky. I'm, I eat the simplest meals. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't really bother with the fancy stuff too yeah. often, but... Uh, some people like that, so you just got to get more creative. Yeah, I think that's really helpful information. So you did mention fiber and bloating and how we want to like go slowly. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be someone who's used to eating maybe like 15 grams up to like 45 yeah, grams yeah. overnight. Even 45 is pretty low <laughs> yeah. for Whole Foods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so slow increase in fiber. Um, chew your food a lot. Chew your food. Yeah. I don't chew enough. Yeah. Relaxed, I actually don't either. <laughs> Shouldn't be giving that advice. But no, definitely. But be mindful of I it. chew yeah. a lot. Like, I'm yeah. such a slow eater and I can't help it. <laughs> like, no, that's good. I know. Mm-hmm. It's a very good Except habit. Except when we're to sharing have. a meal because then yeah. I'll be eating it so much. You faster. eat like two thirds and I'll eat a third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Friends episode where. Ross says uh, when he was younger, he had to eat fast because Monica would eat it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's so true. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm Monica. <laughs> um, yeah. Any other, like we are giving a talk on mm-hmm. digestion coming up on Thursday. Um, people that are like scared of beans, any tips for like preparation that you want to give yeah. them? So if you want to make it a little easier on digestion, you can soak them ahead of time, soak them overnight, drain it, and then um, have them that way. That might reduce the levels of some things that you know add to the bloating, um, your phytic acid and whatnot. But 
as far as uh, other things with beans, like just don't be afraid of them. They're incredibly healthy foods. They're the only food that is a common staple amongst all of blue zones, which are the longest living populations in the world. They're very nutritious, high in iron, um, fiber, of course, high in calcium, uh, and tons of other vitamins and minerals. And uh, if you ever hear about the whole lectin theory of, of these things, you know, causing lectin poisoning, it's only when they're undercooked. If you sufficiently cook beans, you have nothing to worry about. Um, all the lectins are destroyed, or 99.9% .9 of them are destroyed with as little as like 15 minutes of cooking. What are lectins? They're like proteins within <laughs> the food that... Um, there were some studies done in a petri dish where they drip blood um, or they yeah drip blood onto some you know, different various food mm -hmm. products and they found that they clumped or like agglutinated they called it and then this whole theory about um, you know especially the blood type theory with certain blood types not agreeing with certain foods kind of came from that idea and then there were there was a case of or multiple cases of lectin poisoning out of a hospital in the state somewhere I can't remember where mm -hmm. it was and um, it was actually due to beans being like dry roasted not long enough. Like, it's a really weird way to okay. cook them. I don't know why they were doing that. Um, but yeah, so lectins are toxic in high amounts. You cook these beans or lentils or whatever, they're gone. Um, and actually small amounts might even be anti-cancer. So there are benefits okay. there as well. Good to know. Yeah, especially kidney beans. Like yeah, if red those kidney beans are especially, yeah. undercooked, they yeah. are very poisonous yeah. still. <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure you cook them. So... I know, well, you were doing raw for a while, mm. and I had a raw food food truck for a while, and so I was in, like, the raw food community yeah, yeah. and was really into it for a little while. I never was, like, fully raw because I just, I, like, cooked food, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really liked what you could do, like, with the recipes mm -hmm. and, like, the creativity in the kitchen. But I know some people will soak and then sprout like stuff like lentils and garbanzo beans and then eat them raw that way so just make sure you never do that with yeah. kidney beans and even like to me like lentils okay but the larger the bean I feel like those should be soaked and then cooked so don't just eat them soaked and raw <laughs> yeah you'll get an upset stomach and yeah, yeah. explosive diarrhea yeah, yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> never good yeah <laughs> Just a warning. Don't learn everyone. the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else you want to add? How can people find you online? Um, so I have a new kind of professional Instagram account. It's just at dr.matthewnagra. So just my name. Um, I'm also kind of signing on with the clinic right now but it's not official so once that's up I'll have like a website and all that going okay, um, I will post that all to my Instagram as well and actually that's probably the best way for now to get a hold of me I'm just starting making all the professional stuff so exciting yeah and we'll make sure to add that into the show notes as well for Sounds anybody good. that's listening and they don't have time to write it down yep. or if they forget that will all be in there Sounds good. Thanks, thanks for having me yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for, for being, being here, here.